0: G'day, I'm Megan Woodward, and this is Prop to Top, the Cotton Info podcast. Conversations to help you grow. Today, we're joined by Dr. Lisa Bird. Lisa is a senior research scientist at the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. And she recently presented as part of the Growing Better series run through CSD at the forum held at Cecil Plains, and there was a lot of discussion around aphid resistance this past season, wasn't there, Lisa? Yes, there was. So we thought it was a very good opportunity to haul you into the Cotton Info podcast studio for a few minutes today and have a chat about what we saw last season and what we need to do to prevent or at least stay on top of it as we enter into the 23-24 season. So Lisa, Tell me a bit about your understanding of why we saw such a resurgence of aphid pressure last season.
1: Thanks, Megan. And it's lovely to be with you today. I guess the reason that aphids became an issue again last season was basically because of the wetter conditions that we'd seen over the past few seasons, which has really given aphids the opportunity to build up in the landscape. And I guess the other thing is that we've had these wetter than normal winter periods in many regions as well. And that's also been a key driver for allowing aphid populations to carry forward from one season to the next. And so as a result of those more favourable conditions, aphids became pretty widespread across the industry last season. And most regions experienced a reasonable amount of aphid activity right the way from the Darling Downs down to the central western parts of New South Wales. That wet start to last season is the root cause of
0: so many issues that we saw over the last 12 months. Talk me through a bit of about aphid biology and why this is high risk for this resistance development.
1: Yeah, so I guess there are some aspects of aphid biology that do put them at an increased risk for developing resistance. And one of the key reasons is because aphids can reproduce asexually. And this just means that aphid progeny are clones of their parent. So in other words, you get an exact copy of the parent's genetic material being passed directly to their offspring. And this includes any genes that might make them resistant to insecticides. And so because you get these clonal progeny, it does make it very difficult for resistance to be genetically diluted. And so resistance genes do tend to hang around in populations for a long period of time. And so then if resistance does develop, it can spread around the landscape by winged adults. And you get these appearing in crops when aphids build up and become too overcrowded on plants. And so they'll tend to disperse and spread those resistance genes to neighbouring fields and to neighbouring farms. Resistant aphids can also hang around out of season as well if they become established on things like winter weeds or in ritune cotton, for example. And we do hear a lot about how important it is to break the aphid life cycle by practising good farm hygiene. So in other words, removing any host plants from around fields that might be harbouring aphid populations. So this practice of breaking the green bridge is just a really simple thing that people can do to minimise carryover of those resistance genes to the next season. And of course, by reducing the chance of aphids moving back into crops, you're also reducing the risk of cotton bunchy top disease because cotton aphids are the primary vector for the CBT virus. And yes, we have discussed that in recent
0: times as well, and we've seen a lot of that this past season as well, with the suggestion that the silver lining of the drier conditions that we are expecting over the next couple of months could hopefully break that green bridge for us and reduce that. But in the meantime, we still have got to stay on top of the aphids and the core issue to begin with. So let's talk group one resistance. Why is this re-emerged in aphids this season?
1: So yes, not only was there this resurgence of aphids to contend with last season, there was also the challenge of controlling those populations because we saw a re-emergence of resistance to Group 1 insecticides, including perimicarb. Now, control failures of Group 1 insecticides is nothing new in cotton, but it is something that we haven't seen as an industry-wide issue for many years. And the last time we saw a significant resistance outbreak was back in 2012, which again was after we'd had a couple of wet years, and when there were a fair few aphids around. There have been a couple of other resistance outbreaks over the years, but none that were particularly widespread. And really the last time that we saw substantial industry-wide perimicarb resistance was right back in the early 2000s. So it's actually been 20 years since we've seen such a wide geographical spread of resistance. And so I guess it is easy to forget the sorts of impacts that aphid resistance can have in crop management, particularly the implications for something like perimicarb, which is normally a pretty handy IPM product because it gives you good selective control of aphids. But perimicarb is in the same chemical mode of action group as the organophosphates, which includes dimethoate. And of course, Dimethoate gets used early season for controlling other pests, so things like myrids, thrips and rutherglen bugs for example. But we have known for a very long time that dimethoate also selects for perimicarb resistance in aphids. And even if you only have a very small proportion of a population that's carrying group 1 resistance, you can imagine that an application or two of dimethoate is going to remove the susceptible cohort from that population and all you'll be left with is resistant clones. And the other thing is that dimethoate also takes out any natural enemies that might have been present in the crop. And so that residual population of resistant clones is going to be able to build up very quickly and become the dominant phenotype in the crop. And that's effectively what happened last season, because when people have come back mid-season to try and control their aphids with primicarb, it hasn't worked. And it was because of that very strong cross-resistance to dimethoate.
0: Again, a discussion that lots of people have been having and a discussion that's been held between forums, conferences, get togethers, and no doubt at the local pub over the last couple of months, Lisa, you've been doing lots and lots of testing and getting a lot of samples that have informed the information you're sharing with us today. Are you able to tell us a bit more about what the testing data has told us over the last season or what we could potentially learn from this for aphid management this coming season? So
1: we found that Group 1 resistance was pretty widespread across the industry and that about 90% of populations from southern Queensland and northern New South Wales had some level of resistance to Primicarb. So that is quite a substantial widespread resistance event that we saw last season. And on average, what we found across the industry overall was that there was about 30% resistance to primicarb. And this was a substantial increase from 1% resistance that we saw the year before that. And it's also very consistent with what many people were finding in terms of control failures with primicarb, particularly in fields where there had been early applications of dimethylate. Now, on the other hand, we didn't find any resistance to sulfoxaflor And we only found very low levels of resistance to the neonicotinoids. So look, overall, there was no dramatic increase from the previous season in terms of resistance to Group 4 products. What we did see, though, was that there was low-level resistance showing up to diaphenthyron in aphids, particularly in northern New South Wales. And this is probably related to the fact that mites were a bit of an issue in some regions last season. And aphids that were present in those crops might have had some inadvertent exposure to pegasus sprays that were targeted toward mites.
0: Okay, these mites, any emerging resistance issues in those? Two spotted mites, I believe you were talking about?
1: That's right. So we're talking about two spotted mites and we saw some elevated levels of diaphenthyron resistance to this species of mites as well, which does seem to be associated with a heritable change in mites. So in other words, when we took the survivors from diaphenthyron screens and then exposed those survivors to further selection pressure in the lab, we got an even higher level of resistance in the progeny. And this is a bit of a concern because firstly, we know that there are these insects, sensitive phenotypes in the mite population. And secondly, we know that they can increase in frequency when we apply further selection pressure. So it is going to be really important to avoid using consecutive sprays of pegasus on mites. And also to rotate products from different mode of action groups when you're managing mites because we really don't want to end up in a situation what we've got with abermectin because this is a product where resistance has been an issue in northern New South Wales for a number of years now. And we saw moderate levels of resistance again last season to abermectin in mites. On the other hand, though, resistance to things like propargite and etoxazole is still pretty low in cotton. So those products should continue to be good rotational options for mite management.
0: That's great intel, Lisa. Thank you. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that will be committing this to memory and taking some notes. I guess the next step from that information is what insight do you have or tips that you can share to make sure we're not putting more mite and aphid control options at risk as we go through this
1: process? Well, I guess the reality is, is that primicab is unlikely to be an effective option for aphids, at least in the short term. And so I think it is a fair assumption that there will probably be more selection pressure on other options for mite control. So it is going to be very important not to overuse things like neonicotinoids because we have seen neonic resistance in the past in cotton aphids. So there is this risk that over-reliance on those products is going to reselect for resistance. And for mites, You know, we're already a bit limited in available options. So again, a key message is not to over-rely on any one particular chemical group of miticides. So a good strategy would be to make sure that you plan your chemical rotations to include as many different mode of action groups as possible so that you're not over-reliant on any one particular group. And it's also a good idea that when you're planning ahead, that you take a look at the cotton IRMS. And I know it sounds obvious, but just to make sure that you know what mode of action group your products are in and then try and rotate as many of those different groups as you can when you're managing your mites and aphids. And just a reminder that, you know, if you would like to have your aphids or mites tested for resistance this season, you can get in contact with me directly or you can reach out to the Cotton Info team in your region and they'll be able to provide any assistance that you might need for collecting and sending those samples into us for testing. Thank you so much, Lisa.
0: And we'll make sure that we've got those contacts in the show notes of this podcast. And also great of you to discuss the IRMS in there as well. That has been updated for the season ahead on the Cotton Info website and again we'll put a link in the show notes directly to that and it will also be coming out in the cotton pests management guide which will be included in CRDC's Spotlight magazine which comes out mid September so should be landing in people's mailboxes very soon Dr Lisa Bird thank you so much for your time and your information and intel today and we will make sure that people have your contact details too should they have any further questions thank you Dr Lisa Bird thanks Megan